2: Hello, this is Let's Talk About Myths, baby, and I am your host, Liv, here with another episode of The Argonautica by Apollonius. Now, this is the ancient Hellenistic epic all about Jason, you know, how we love? Anyway, how Jason exists uh, and his trip with the Argonauts to capture the Golden Fleece. Now, I'm sure based on all of that, and you having listened to my podcast, I can imagine you will understand who is coming along in this story. But not yet, because this is only part two of book one. Now, this epic is only four books. So if you thought it was going to be epically long by me splitting up the books into two or three, it's not. It just means we're going to have, you know, eight to twelve episodes instead of four, which is totally reasonable. And like I mentioned, these will be interspersed with conversation episodes. It won't be only epics and it won't be only conversations. I've got to keep myself sane. A note about the translation. It's very old. And so when I think of it, I'm changing words like spake and ye to words like spoke and you. So this is almost an exact use of that translation, but frankly, I'm making it a lot easier for us all to understand. So without any further rambling, a reminder from last week, we have been introduced to all of the Argonauts. They are extensive, and they are preparing to set sail on their ship, and they just settled in to have a little bit of a sleep before they set sail. This is The Argonautica by Apollonius, translated by R.C. Seaton. Book 1, Part 2. Now when gleaming dawn with bright eyes beheld the lofty peaks of Pelion, and the calm headlands were being drenched as the sea was ruffled by the winds, then Typhus awoke from sleep, and at once he roused his comrades to go on board and make ready the oars." And a strange cry did the harbour of Pagasi utter, and Pelion Argo herself urging them to set forth, for in her beam divine had been laid which Athena had brought from an oak of Dodona, and fitted in the middle of the stem. And the heroes went to the benches, one after the other, as they had previously assigned for each to row in his place, and took their seats in due order near their fighting gear. In the middle sat Antaeus and mighty Heracles, and near him he laid his club, and beneath his tread the ship's keel sank deep. And now the hawsers were being slipped, and they poured wine on the sea. But Jason, with tears, held his eyes away from his fatherland— and just as youths set up a dance in honour of Phoebus either in Pytho or haply in Ortigia, or by the waters of Ismenus, and to the sound of the lyre round his altar all together in time beat the earth with swiftly moving feet, so they to the sound of Orpheus's lyre smote with their oars the rushing sea-water, and the surge broke over the blades.' And on this side and on that the dark brine seethed with foam, boiling terribly through the might of the sturdy heroes. And their arms shone in the sun like flame as the ship sped on, and ever their wake gleamed white far behind, like a path seen over a green plain. On that day all the gods looked down from heaven upon the ship and the might of the heroes half-divine, the bravest of men then sailing the sea, and on the topmost heights the nymphs of Pelion wondered as they beheld the work of Itonian Athena, and the heroes themselves wielding the oars. And there came down from the mountaintop to the sea Chiron, son of Phileira, and where the white surf broke he dipped his feet and often waving with his broad hand, cried out to them at their departure. Good speed and a sorrowless home return. And with him his wife, bearing Peleus' son Achilles on her arm, showed the child to his dear father. Now when they had left the curving shore of the harbour through the cunning and counsel of prudent Typhus son of Hagnias, who skilfully handled the well-polished helm, that he might guide them steadfastly. Then at length they set up the tall mast in the mast-box, and secured it with four stays, drawing them taut on each side, and from it they let down the sail when they had hauled it to the top mast and a breeze came down piping shrilly, and upon the deck they fastened the rope separately round the well-polished pins, and ran quietly past the long-to-see-in headland. And for them the son of Iagris touched his lyre, and sang in rhythmical song of Artemis, Saviour of ships, child of a glorious sire, who hath in her keeping those peaks by the sea, and the land of Iolcus and the fishes came darting through the deep sea, great mixed with small, and followed gambling along the watery path. And as when in the track of a shepherd their master countless sheep follow to the fold that have fed to the full of grass, and he goes before, gaily piping a shepherd's strain on iris, shrill reed, so these fishes followed, and a chasing breeze ever bore the ship onward. And straightway the misty land of the Pelasgians, rich in cord fields, sank out of sight, and ever speeding onward they passed the rugged sides of Pelion, and the Sepian headland sank away, and Skiathus appeared in the sea, and far off appeared Pyresiae on the calm shore of Magnesia, on the mainland and the tomb of Dolops. Here then in the evening, as the wind blew against them, they put to land, and paying honor to him at nightfall burnt sheep as victims, while the sea was tossed by the swell, and for two days they lingered on the shore. But on the third day they put forth the ship, spreading on high the broad sail, and even now men call that beach Afetai of Argo. Thence, going forward, they ran past Melibia, escaping a stormy beach and surf line, and in the morning they saw Homoli, close at hand, leaning on the sea and skirted it, and not long after that they were about to pass by the outfall of the river Amiris. From there they beheld Eurymene and the sea-washed ravines of Osa and Olympus. Next, they reached the slopes of Pallini, beyond the headland of Canastra, running all night with the wind. And at dawn before them they journeyed Rose Athos, the Thracian mountain, which with its topmost peak overshadows Lemnos, even as far as Marini, though it lies as far off as the space that a well-trimmed merchant ship would traverse up to the midday. For them on that day, till darkness fell, the breeze blew exceedingly fresh, and the sails of the ship strained to it. But with the setting of the sun the wind left them, and it was by the oars that they reached Lemnos, the Sintian Isle. Here the whole of the men of the people together had been ruthlessly slain through the transgressions of the women in the year gone by. For the men had rejected their lawful wives, loathing them, and had conceived a fierce passion for captive maids, who they themselves brought across the sea from their forays in Thrace, for the terrible wrath of Cyprus came upon them, because for a long time they had grudged her the honors due. O hapless women and insatiate in jealousy to their own ruin! Not their husbands alone with the captives did they slay on account of the marriage-bed, but all the males at the same time, that they might thereafter pay no retribution for the grim murder. And of all the women Hypsipyle alone spared her aged father, Thoas, who was king over the people, and she sent him in a hollow chest to drift over the sea, if haply he should escape." And fishermen dragged him to shore at the island of Ene, formerly Ene, but afterwards Sikinus from Sikinus, whom the water-nymph Ene bore to Thoas. Now for all the women to tend kind, to don armour of bronze and to cleave with the plough share the wheat-bearing fields was easier than the works of Athena, with which they were busied aforetime. Yet for all did they often gaze over the broad sea in grievous fear against the Thracians coming. So when they saw Argo being rowed near the island, straightway crowding in multitude from the gates of Marini and clad in their harness of war, they poured forth to the beach like ravening thyades, for they deemed that the Thracians were come. And with them Hypsipyle, daughter of Thoas, donned her father's harness, and they streamed down speechless with dismay. Such fear was wafted about them. Meantime, from the ships, the chiefs had sent Ethalides, the swift herald, to whose care they entrusted their messages and the wand of Hermes, his sire, who had granted him a memory of all things, that never grew dim. And not even now, though he has entered the unspeakable whirlpools of Acheron, has forgetfulness swept over his soul, but its fixed doom is to be ever-changing its abode." at one time to be numbered among the dwellers beneath the earth, at another to be in the light of the sun among living men. But why need I tell at length tales of Ethalides? He at that time persuaded Hypsipoli to receive the newcomers as the day was waning into darkness, nor yet at dawn did they loose the ship's hawsers to the breath of the north wind." Now the Lemnian women fared through the city and sat down to assembly, for Hypsipyle herself had so bidden. And when they were all gathered together in one great throng, straightway she spake among them with stirring words. O friends, come, let us grant these men gifts to their heart's desire, such as it is fitting that they should take on shipboard, food, and sweet wine, in order that they may steadfastly remain outside our towers, and may not, passing among us for need's sake, get to know us all too well. And so an evil report be widely spread, for we have wrought a terrible deed, and in now wise will it be to their liking, should they learn it. Such is our counsel now, but if any of you can devise a better plan, let her rise, for it was on this account that I summoned you hither. Thus she spoke, and sat upon her father's seat of stone, and then rose up her dear nurse Palixo, for very age halting upon her withered feet, bowed over a staff, and she was eager to address them. Near her were seated four virgins, unwedded, crowned with white hair, and she stood in the midst of the assembly, and from her bent back she feebly raised her neck and spoke thus, Gifts, as Hypsipyle herself wishes, let us send to the strangers, for it is better to give them. But for you what device have ye to profit of your life if the Thracian host fall upon us, or some other foe, as often happens among men? even as now this company is come unforeseen. But if one of the blessed gods should turn this aside, with countless other woes worse than battle, remain behind when the aged women die off and ye younger ones without children reach hateful old age, how then will you live, hapless ones? Will your oxen of their own accord yoke themselves for the deep ploughlands and draw the earth-cleaving share through the fallow and forthwith, as the year comes round, reap the harvest? "'Assuredly, though the fates till now have shunned me in horror, "'I deem that in the coming year I shall put on the garment of earth, "'when I have received my meed of burial, "'even so as it is right before the evil days draw near. "'But I bid you, who are younger, give good heed to this, "'for now at your feet a way of escape lies open, "'if you trust the strangers the care of your homes "'and all your stock and your glorious city.' Thus she spoke, and the assembly was filled with clamour, for the word pleased them. And after her straightway, Hypsipyle rose up again, and thus spoke in reply. If this purpose please you all, now will I even send a messenger to the ship. She spoke and addressed iphine close at hand. Go, Ifany, and beg yonder man, whoever it is that leads this array, to come to our land that I may tell him a word that pleases the heart of my people, and bid the men themselves, if they wish, boldly enter the land and city with friendly intent. She spoke and dismissed the assembly, and thereafter started to return home. And so Iphony came to the Minii, and they asked with what intent she had come among them. And quickly she addressed her questioners with all speed in these words. The maiden Hypsipyle, daughter of Thoas, sent me on my way here to you, to summon the captain of your ship, whoever he be. "'that she may tell him a word that pleases the heart of the people, "'and she bids yourselves, if you wish it, "'straightway enter the land and the city with friendly intent. "'Thus she spoke, and the speech of good omen pleased all, "'and they deemed that Thoas was dead "'and that his beloved daughter Hypsipyle was queen, "'and quickly they sent Jason on his way "'and themselves made ready to go.' Now he had buckled round his shoulders a purple mantle of double fold, the work of the Tritonian goddess, which Pallas had given him when she first laid the keel props of the ship Argo, and taught him how to measure timbers with the rule. More easily wouldst thou cast thy eyes upon the sun as its rising than behold that blazing splendour. For, indeed, in the middle the fashion thereof was red, but at the ends it was all purple, and on each margin many separate devices had been skilfully inwoven. In it were the cyclops, seated at their imperishable work, forging a thunderbolt for King Zeus. By now it was almost finished in its brightness, and still it wanted but one ray, which they were beating out with their iron hammers as it spurted forth a breath of raging flame. In it too were the twin sons of Antiope, daughter of Aesopus, Amphion and Zethys, and Thebes still ungirt with its towers was lying near, whose foundations they were just laying in eager haste. Zethys on his shoulders was lifting the peak of a steep mountain, like a man toiling hard, and Amphion after him, singing loud and clear on his golden lyre, moved on, and a rock twice as large followed his footsteps. Next, in order had been wrought Citheria, with drooping tresses, wielding the swift shield of Ares, and from her shoulder to her left arm the fastening of her tunic was loosed beneath her breast, and opposite in the shield of bronze her image appeared clear to view as she stood. And in it was a well-wooded pasturage of oxen, and about the oxen the telebii and the sons of Elytrion were fighting, the one party defending themselves, the other, the Taphian raiders, longing to rob them, and the dewy meadow was drenched with their blood, and the many were overmastering the few herdsmen." And therein were fashioned two chariots racing, and the one in front Pelops was guiding as he shook the reins, and with him was Hippodamia at his side, and in pursuit Myrtillus urged his steeds, and with him Enomaeus had grasped his couched spear, but fell as the axle swerved and broke in the nave, while he was eager to pierce the back of Pelops.' And in it was wrought Phoebus Apollo, a stripling not yet grown up, in the act of shooting at in the act of shooting at mighty Titius, who was boldly dragging his mother by her veil, Titius, whom glorious Elati bare, but earth nursed him and gave him second birth. And in it was Phrixus, the minion, as though he were in very deed listening to the ram, while it was like one speaking. Beholding them thou wouldst be silent, and wouldst cheat thy soul with the hope of hearing some wise speech from them, and long wouldst thou gaze with that hope. Such then were the gifts of the Tritonian goddess Athena, and in his right hand Jason held a far-darting spear, which Atalanta gave him once as a gift of hospitality in menalis as she met him gladly, for she eagerly desired to follow on that quest— but he himself of his own accord prevented the maid, for he feared bitter strife on account of her love. And he went on his way to the city like to a bright star, which maidens pent up in new-built chambers, behold, as it rises above their homes, and through the dark air it charms their eyes with its fair red gleam, and the maid rejoices, love-sick for the youth who is far away amid strangers, for whom her parents are keeping her to be his bride.' Like to that star the hero trod his way to the city, and when they had passed within the gates and the city, the women of the people surged behind him, delighting in the stranger, but he, with his eyes fixed on the ground, fared straight on, till he reached the glorious palace of Hypsipyle, and when he appeared the maids opened the folding doors, fitted with well-fashioned panels— Here Iphene, leading him quickly through a fair porch, set him upon a shining seat opposite her mistress. But Hypsipyle turned her eyes aside, and a blush covered her maiden cheeks. Yet for all her modesty she addressed him with crafty words. Stranger, why stay you so long outside our towers? For the city is not inhabited by the men, but they, as sojourners, plough the wheat-bearing fields of the Thracian mainland. And I will tell out truly all our evil plight, that you yourselves too may know it well. When my father Troas reigned over the citizens, then our folk, starting from their homes used to plunder from their ships the dwellings of the Thracians who live opposite, and they brought back hither measureless booty and maidens too. But the counsel of the baneful goddess Kypris was working out its accomplishment, who brought upon them soul-destroying infatuation— For they hated their lawful wives, and, yielding to their own mad folly, drove them from their homes, and they took to their beds the captives of their spear, cruel ones, long in truth we endured it, if haply again, though late, they might change their purpose. But ever the bitter woe grew twofold, and the lawful children were being dishonoured in their halls, and a bastard race was rising. And thus unmarried maidens and widowed mothers too wandered uncared for through the city. No father heeded his daughter ever so little, even though he should see her done to death before his eyes at the hands of an insolent step-dame. Nor did sons, as before, defend their mother against unseemly outrage. Nor did brothers care at heart for their sister. But in their homes, in the dance, in the assembly and the banquet, all their thought was only for their captive maidens. Until some god put desperate courage in our hearts, no more, to receive our lords on their return from Thrace within our towers, so that they might either heed the right or might depart and be gone elsewhither, they and their captives. So they begged of us all the male children that were left in the city, and went back to where even now they dwell on the snowy tilths of Thrace. Do you therefore stay and settle with us?' And shouldst thou desire to dwell here, and this finds favour with thee, assuredly thou shalt have the prerogative of my father Thoas, and I deem that thou wilt not scorn our land at all, for it is deep-soiled beyond all other islands that lie in the Aegean Sea. But come now, return to the ship and relate my words to your comrades, and stay not outside our city. She spoke, glazing over the murder that had been wrought upon the men, and Jason addressed her in answer. Hypsipyle, very dear to our hearts is the help we shall meet with, which thou grantest to us who need thee, and I will return again to the city when I have told everything in order due. But let the sovereignty of the island be thine. It is not in scorn I yield it up, but grievous trials urge me on. He spoke and touched her right hand, and quickly he turned to go back. And round him the young maids on every side danced in countless number in their joy till he passed through the gates. And then they came to the shore in smooth running wains, bearing with them many gifts, when now he had related from beginning to end the speech, which Hypsipyle had spoken when she summoned them, and the maids readily led the men back to their homes for entertainment. For Kypris stirred in them a sweet desire, for the sake of Hephaestus of many counsels, in order that Lemnos might be again inhabited by men, and not be ruined. Thereupon Eason's son started to go to the royal home of Hypsipyle, and the rest went each his way as chance took them, all but Heracles, for he of his own will was left behind by the ship, and a few chosen comrades with him. And straightway the city rejoiced with dances and banquets, being filled with the steam of sacrifice, and above all the immortals they propitiated with songs and sacrifices the illustrious son of Hera and Kypris herself. And the sailing was ever delayed from one day to another, and long would they have lingered there had not Heracles gathered together his comrades apart from the women, thus addressed them with reproachful words." Wretched men! Does the murder of kindred keep us from our native land? Or is it in want of marriage that we have come hither from thence, in scorn of our countrywomen? Does it please us to dwell here and plough the rich soil of Lemnos? No fair renown shall we win by thus tarrying so long with stranger women, nor will some god seize and give us at our prayer a fleece that moves of itself. Let us then return each to his own.' but him leave you to rest all day long in the embrace of Hypsipyle, until he has peopled Lemnos with men-children, and so there come to him great glory. Thus did he chide the band, but no one dared to meet his eye or to utter a word in answer. But just as they were in the assembly they made ready their departure in all haste, and the women came running towards them when they knew their intent." and as when bees hum round fair lilies pouring forth from their hive in the rock, and all round the dewy meadow rejoices, and they gather the sweet fruit, flitting from one to another, even so the women eagerly poured forth, clustering round the men with loud lament, and greeted each one with hands and voice, praying the blessed gods to grant him a safe return. And so Hypsipyle too prayed, seizing the hands of Aeson's son, and her tears flowed for the loss of her lover. Go, and may heaven bring thee back again with thy comrades unharmed, bearing to the king the golden fleece, even as thou wilt in their heart desire, and this island and my father's scepter will be awaiting thee, if on thy return hereafter thou shouldst choose to come hither again, and easily couldst thou gather a countless host of men from other cities." But thou wilt not have this desire, nor do I myself forebode that it so will be. Still remember, Hypsipoli, when thou art far away, and when thou hast returned, and leave me some word of bidding, which I will gladly accomplish, if haply heaven shall grant me to be a mother. And Eson's son in admiration thus replied, Hypsipoli, so may all these things prove propitious by the favour of the blessed gods, but do thou hold a nobler thought of me, since by the grace of Pelias it is enough for me to dwell in my native land. May the gods only release me from my toils. But if it is not my destiny to sail afar and return to the land of Hellas, and if thou should bear a male child, send him when grown up to Pelasgi and Iolcus to heal the grief of my father and mother, if so be he find them still living, in order that, far away from the king, they may be cared for by my own hearth in their home. He spoke and mounted the ship first of all, and so the rest of the chiefs followed, and, sitting in order, seized the oars, and Argus loosed for them the hawsers from under the sea-beaten rock, whereupon they mightily smote the water with their long oars, and in the evening, by the injunctions of Orpheus, they touched at the island of Electra, daughter of Atlas, in order that by gentle initiation they might learn the rites that may not be uttered, and so with greater safety sail over the chilling sea. Of these I will make no further mention, but I bid farewell to the island itself and the indwelling deities to whom belong those mysteries, which it is not lawful for me to sing." Oh, nerds, thank you all so much for listening as we continue on with the Argonautica. Of course, this episode focused primarily on those Lemnian women and Hypsipyle. Hypsipyle is one of my favorite names to say in all of the Greek characters. She's a true gem. You can listen to my regular episodes about this part in the story. Um, They were covered, I think, in the last year or two. But if you search the name Hypsipyle, you're going to find it because I doubt she has many podcasts on her. Um, But we covered kind of Jason in general and all of his awfulness and the women he left in his wake. So there is a lot more information on them if you are so interested. I will kind of be laying out instances like that throughout the Argonautica just because I have covered some of these stories in different places and they can be really interesting and lord knows I'm not going to just focus on Jason being a so-called good guy like he is here. Um, But as we keep going I'll kind of lay those out for you. Overall though thank you all so much for listening next week even more adventures in the world of jason and the argonauts including that moment with heracles and hylas which i've also covered in another episode but we will get there you are all the best thank you so much for listening i am live and i love this shit <laughs>